0: Hey everybody, it's Chris McClung coming at you from Austin, Texas with episode 163 of the Running Rogue podcast as we wrap 2019 and move into a new decade. We've got a guest today, Jason Brooks will be joining. Jason has been on a few episodes previously is one of our coaches here in Austin and he and I are going to be starting a new podcast based training program in the new year that we'll talk about on this episode and so we're going to jump right into that. This new program is going to be based around the idea that there is a time and a place for everybody, whether they're new in building or whether maybe they're coming back from injury or perhaps just trying to establish a new foundation with their running, that there is a case for spending a consistent period of time on base building. So we're going to make the case for base building today, give you some tips on how to think about base building if you decide to do that on your own, and also introduce to you a new program through the podcast that we'll be launching starting in January for those who might want to join in a base building journey with Jason and I. So with that, as a quick intro, we'll bring Jason in to talk about it. Welcome Jason Brooks back to the show. How are you doing today, Jason? Doing well, thank you. I gave a proper introduction of you, but you really shouldn't need one. You've been on the show many times. Also a rogue coach and Wear many other hats at Rogue as well. Right. So at least those in Austin know you well. But you're about to put on a little bit of a new hat, which is exciting. It is. And we get to tag team on this, which is we're creating together a new virtual podcast group that's going to have a slightly different focus than the one we currently have in place, where we're in season five of of the other group, which is very much focused on getting people ready for certain race distances. This group is going to be different. It's going to actually be more foundational, more focused on what someone might call base building. Somebody might call it mileage. Some people might just say it's a foundational program where we're focused on the fundamentals. But the idea is that we're starting a new group that will just be focused on building volume and hopefully creating a platform for your body and for your mind to then take that fitness, that foundational fitness, to another place. This could be potentially for for anybody who would be maybe just building for the first time to a little bit of a higher mileage level. It could be somebody who, for somebody who might be injured and kind of rebuilding. Could be for for somebody who just needs to pause from training, from specific races, and maybe work on some things that might be weaknesses. We'll talk a little bit about the components of the program as we go, but this podcast is in addition to being a little bit of advertisement for this program, it's also going to be us talking about the perspective we're going to bring to the program that hopefully anybody could take some of these principles and apply it in their own training, whether or not they can join us with that group. That's right. So I'm excited about this for a lot of reasons. One, because I love the virtual platform that we've created on the podcast. But the other one is because I think this is going to open it up that platform to even more people. Yeah. And And maybe even those that don't necessarily want to focus on certain races ever. And they just want to have a bigger foundation for fitness to do whatever it might be. Right. So I think it'll be a little bit more versatile and accessible program and also open it up for those who may not be ready for a more rigorous program to train for a marathon, but want to get to the point where they could be ready. So that's the idea. We're going to come back at the end and talk more about the details of what that specific program is is about. But for this episode, we just wanted to lay out the principles that we want to bring to the program that anybody could apply in their training now. And the first topic for us to discuss today, before we kind of get into the details of what a base building or foundational program might look like for somebody, is just to make the case for someone to to take the time to do this. You know, I think a lot of times in our world, especially the running world, if someone hasn't signed up for a race or isn't focused on a race or a specific outcome or goal, they don't take the time to work on the foundational fitness. Yeah. And in fact, I think it's pretty rare to see a program that just focuses on that at all. And that's what this is going to be about. And so we want to make the case first that there's a place for that in training really for all athletes, not just for that newer athlete or that athlete who's building, but also, again, those who might be injured, those who need to say, pause, I need to work on some things, allow my body to maybe incorporate new changes into my program, whether they be strength-based, stress management-based, nutrition-based, mileage-building-based, make those changes actually consolidate those changes into their program so their body can use it and yeah. then go back into another cycle. And so most of the time, people just don't take the time for it or they do it as a part of a very short window within an existing cycle. Right. And so it then kind of gets short circuited or shortcut.
1: It can be hard to step back.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I've, I've struggled with this in my own training. of saying, hey, I want to build strength into my program in a, in a more rigorous way and I'll start to add it, and then six weeks later, I jump right into another cycle, and to, it causes me to compromise maybe what I'm doing a little bit on yeah. the strength side in order to get back to where I need to be to train for something. So so with this, and I think this also kind of relates back to my long-term planning podcast of saying, hey, there, there are times and opportunities, whether for a new runner, an exer- experienced runner, a runner coming back, to just hit pause on training for a specific race and instead focus on foundational fitness. So that's a lot of me talking. What's your perspective on this as as someone who's coached athletes? What would be your case for
1: the base? I'm really excited about this because it fits so well in my, my, if I start with long range planning and then I kind of get down to all the things that matter for me from a training standpoint, the, the base building is super important. So I like it every every year. Really, I, I do it personally because I I over the last few years end up investing in one sort of epic goal, which crushes me, and I need some time, <laughs> uh, to to, to claw back from it. Yeah, yep. but you know, so I think about uh work-life balance would be kind of the first place I start with. So this ties to the stress management concept that we've talked about on this podcast, you, me, and and uh, Dr. Moose. And I think that when I when anybody invests in a big running goal, they make a lot of sacrifices in other areas of their life. If they have family, if they have work, they're probably spending less time in a lot of other areas of their life where they're demands so that they can focus on training, especially for the athletes that might be running 50, 60, 70, hundred miles a week. That's a huge time commitment. And so I look at this idea of work-life balance on a, on a sort of higher level, like over a multi-year cycle. So in a, in a year or an 18 month period, there's a, I need a time when I can claw back from training and focus on, on work focus on my family and some other things like that. So base building gives that opportunity. It gives the body some time to heal, which is always really important. Uh, It's a good time for to play like ultimate Frisbee or disc golf or whatever other things you might like to do. And then um, it's also a good opportunity to try new things with your training program. So if you want to introduce strength training, this is a time when your stress load on your body is lower because you're not running as much, um, and you're not running as much intensity. You're, you're going to be building in volume, but typically you're kind of starting at a lower level and then working up. And so you have an opportunity to introduce new forms of stress, uh, in a sort of lower risk way. And then it's also the key time when I, I think that athletes should work on metabolic flexibility. and and driving greater metabolic flexibility, because during the base building time, you have an opportunity to exist on a lower carbohydrate diet. You could during base building experiment with ketogenic dieting, if that's something you ever wanted to try to, or you can kind of make the cut to, um, a paleo diet. And then you can work on these fat adaptation cycles. If you think about it, like a special block of training or something like that, like I'm going to take three months or two months during my base period and focus on fat adaptation as a specific goal that I'm targeting in my training. And because you have a lower intensity training typically during a base building period and maybe even for a time, a lower volume, that's a good opportunity to focus on that kind of thing. And so if you want to ferret out food inflammation problems that you might have or kind of experiment with your diet, it's a good time to do it. And it's a good time to work on the fat adaptation component of metabolic flexibility. Um, for, for the, I guess I'll just talk a little bit about metabolic flexibility. So it's not a totally nebulous concept. Um, basically the idea is that you want to set your body up to easily switch between fuel sources as you move through different energy systems from an aerobic standpoint. And so all about like fueling on the right thing at the right time. And so driving fat adaptation is an important part of how you can, support your body's ability to burn fat when you're in an aerobic state and then easily make the transition into burning more glycogen when you're in a in a more predominant anaerobic state and so that's kind of my case for it i can focus on different elements in my training i can try new things it's a safe environment for me to introduce stressful elements like dietary change or um strength training and then it's also a time to focus on other competing priorities in life for a while
0: so it gives you the flexibility potentially to to play around to experiment when it's really hard to do that when you're in specific a specific training block for a specific race i can't tell you how many times as a coach i've had somebody Come to me and say, "Hey, I'm starting a marathon program with you. I'm excited to train for this. I'm also starting a ketogenic diet, yeah, (laughs) right, (laughs) and uh, and I'm on you know 20 grams of carbs a day. Yeah, and it's and I mean it's happened more than once where somebody has told me that I'm like, uh, those two things don't really go together. You know, you can't chase two rabbits at one time, as as Kipchoge says. (laughs) And so." You know, if you're going to experiment with how you want to fuel your body, probably shouldn't happen in the middle of your first marathon cycle.
1: It should not. Or your hundredth marathon cycle. True. Matter. This
0: is true. And so, you know, I think for that veteran runner, this is an opportunity to experiment. For that injured runner, it's an opportunity to kind of experiment coming back, build safely. It gives you an opportunity to work in other elements of your training to try to maybe create the balance so that you don't get injured. Now that you know a little bit about maybe what broke you that time, I think for that newer runner who's trying to build fitness, you know, I have people reach out to me and you know, typically we recommend that somebody be running at least 25 miles a week to jump into our other podcast group and some people just aren't there yet. So they might be in that 15 to 20 mile a week range wanting to get over that and you know, building to that place of being able to sustain high, a little bit higher mileage than maybe your starting point, and go from 20 miles a week to running 40 miles a week in a comfortable way that keeps you healthy along the way. It's better to do that in a dedicated block where you're focused on mileage building versus in a block where you're trying to train for a race and get a specific outcome yeah. because we can work on volume as the improvement vector versus volume and speed and, you know, a few other things. So really the case here is that this is an opportunity for anybody to experiment with their training in whatever way that might be because the intensity is going to be a lower la- lower level or or would should be at a lower level if you go into this type of block you're doing you're still doing some speed to keep it interesting to keep you know your speed muscles so to speak activated but that's not the primary focus and you're not right. having to be super specific about that work because you don't have a race on the calendar so it gives you the ability to focus on volume to add strength to your program to maybe experiment with dieting a little bit and do that in a risk-free way that also gives you the time and ha- and allows you the patience to learn yeah you know you may figure out that something doesn't work for you But if you've got to adapt and get back into training within a four to six week window, you may not have the time to iterate in order to learn what really works in that area versus giving yourself four to five months where you can actually try a few different versions of a nutrition approach or of, you know, volume routine during the week that ends up being stable for you or of a strength program that fits with your everyday routine. And if you
1: only have four to six weeks between, like, you can't re-baseline in that time. So you want want several months you can string together so that you can kind of re-baseline where you are and then work from there. Yep. Clean the slate, so to speak.
0: Yep. So, anyway, so that's what this new program is going to be about. But today, we wanted to talk about just making the case for you spending time there if, you know, any of what we just said resonates with you because... You don't always have to be chasing a specific race, and we wanted to first just give you the merits or give you the the reasons and the merit of actually having a dedicated foundational training block, but then beyond that, we want to talk about what that might look like and the, the principles and concepts we're going to bring into this training, which again, we'd love to have you join us, but if you can't or don't, then hopefully you can take some of these concepts and apply it in your own base or foundational training block And so we're going to talk about this in three categories, sort of three conceptual elements or categories, running, obviously, strength, and then lifestyle. And we'll speak about each of those in turn. And as a part of that, we'll talk a little bit about the the kind of flavors of that that you'll see within the context of our our, uh, specific virtual group associated with this. But first, obviously, the running. This is the Running Rogue podcast. <laughs> we are both runners. We're hopefully fundamentally training people to be better runners. And so obviously, we've got to talk about the running. And in any base program, you know, I think there's different components of that. There's, at the very simplest level, you know, there's volume, there's speed, and then there's adaptability, at least those are the kind of components that we're going to talk about in this running. And, and how do you how do you listen and adapt to what you're doing in order to find a, a homeostasis that works for you? And on the volume side, and I think most traditionally, if somebody's talking about a base building block, you're talking about building base mileage. Yeah. And that's going to obviously be a big component of what this program will be about or what any base program should be about is building your mileage and probably even more than that. I think about it as building routine Yes. and how that mileage fits together probably is even more important than yep. the exact you know, number at the end of the week. I think sometimes we get too obsessed with that total number and we don't worry when so, we, and we worry not enough about how that number fits together. And so for me, when I start thinking about volume, it's first about the routine. It's like, okay, what routine do I want to create? And what should I be doing on each day to fit an overall routine that makes sense? And then, you know, and then where does that get me from a mileage standpoint? So what does that mean for routine? Well, that means you need to establish consistency around a routine for certain days of the week. And I think this is even important in base building, even if you're not doing really specific quality workouts or speed workouts, to still establish a routine that would apply in that world. So for me, that means having a medium long run day, having a quality day. Whether you do quality there or not all the time in a base block, you sort of know that that day is kind of earmarked for it and, and the rest of the week fits around it. Recovery days, you know, after your quality and after your long runs, of course, long runs as a part of it. And even in a base building block, you might have, you know, a decent long run. So that it all fits together. So you need to figure out where those days are first for you before you figure out how many miles you should be running on those days.
1: Right. So you're like figuring out how many days a week can I run? Yep. Right. Exactly. Um, and then how much time do I have in each of those days? That'll help dictate what's my medium long run day. What's my yeah. long run day? What are my shorter run days? <clears throat> and, and a lot of it is about, as you said, routine. Like how am I going to put this into my lifestyle? Do I have support from my family and my work environment and that sort of thing?
0: Yeah, because you're trying to establish a routine that you can not just sustain for four or five months, but that then can carry with you into the next block and the next block and beyond. And if it doesn't work for your wife for you to get up and run at this time because you have to take the kids to school or she does or whatever it may be, then it's not going to work. Yeah. Same is true with whatever your family situation might be. Whether you're, you have a roommate, a partner, whoever it may be, you've got to be able to work things around the people in your life so that it fits together. And that's critical. So to me, step one of this, this kind of block is figuring out that routine. And you asked about days per week. I want to talk briefly about that. You know, I think I hear all the time people say, well, I can't do more than three days a week. Most of the time they're not talking about scheduling wise. Sometimes they are, but most of the time they're talking about my body can't handle more than three three days a week, or at Mm -hmm. least that's their perception. And I could say as a coach, having coached now probably, well, at least hundreds, maybe thousands of people over the last 10 years, I've never met somebody that I couldn't get to at least four days a week (laughs) of running. And I am a huge believer that more running days per week is a fundamental and foundational element to staying healthy, to getting faster, to being happy as a runner is establishing a routine that's at least 4 days but ideally 5 or 6. And I hear it all the time where people say, "Well, I just can't do that. That's too many days. I'll break." Which is means, which means typically that they're doing it the wrong way. Now, there are certainly cases where somebody might have, you know, there are genetic arthritic conditions that might affect somebody's ability to do more than more than a few days a week. I get that. But for most people, the vast majority of people, if they do it the right way, they can do it. And it's just a matter of doing it and figuring out how it fits all together in your life. And so I'm going to make the case in here that, you know, you should be thinking about four or five or six days a week, no matter what. And if you've only been doing two you know, going to six is probably too much, but getting to four or five in a base building block completely reasonable. So yeah. for some people it might just be about building the days of the week and not necessarily building to big mileage on those days, but just establishing that routine on days of the week that allows them to put in that, that fundamental foundational work that builds resilience in the body and the muscles and the tendons and the ligaments that then allows you to do more
1: yeah i think it's it it also could force you to learn more about recovery Uh, so i used to i used to be one of these people and i'd say i can't run two days in a row and there was probably two years where i religiously ran every other day okay and what i eventually realized is Every time I went out and ran, I was just hammering the <laughs> shit out of the run. <laughs> and then the yeah. next day, my body's like, sorry, bro. <laughs> yeah,
0: you're not going today. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you
0: did four <laughs> tempo runs this week. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. No, that's what happens. It's true. That's why people can't do it is because they're typically going too hard. All their days look the same. Yeah. And even if it's not super hard, it's probably a little bit more intense than it should be versus really modulating the pace. And I've already talked ad nauseum on this podcast about that. (laughs) So we won't, I think I have to, (laughs) we won't revisit that, but you know, modulating the pace, going easy on your easy days is obviously critical to doing that, you know, but step one is sort of figuring out, okay, what's that routine going to look like? How do my days fit together? I would actually argue that, while I think four is kind of a minimum to really get, get something out of your running. I think five, I think anybody can do five days a week and I would encourage that. Because then you can really have all the pieces you need. That means you have a day for for speed, a day for long run, a day medium long run, and then two recovery days. And it kind of all fits together really nicely if you do it that way. If you do it with four days, then you're missing a little bit of that active recovery, I think. And Mm -hmm. and you need just another easy, super slow day. But four days could also work if you had maybe a cross-training day. So there are different ways to make it work. But... That sort of step one is figuring out okay what's my routine going to look like. That's something obviously we would help with in this, in this program. The other part of it is okay now once I know my routine, then how much volume should I be doing on those days? And as a part of this, you know I always tell people to prioritize first building the long run. You know get get to a a reasonable long run given your mileage targets, then build the medium long run then make sure you, you know your quality day is where it needs to be. And so you first build the days. That's sort of step one in any building yep. program for me. Second, you build the mileage on those days. Some people ask, well, how do I know? Like if I'm running 20 miles a week now and I do a block like this, what should I expect to be able to get to in terms of a target for a base building block? That's a harder question to answer. Because I think it is very more, it's individual. It's and individual. Like, and there's a lot that goes into maybe your athletic foundation. Mm-hmm. You know, as somebody who played a lot of soccer growing up, you know, I was running a lot as a kid before I even became a runner. And so it was a little bit easier for me to build that base yeah. because I had, you know, maybe seven or eight hours of soccer that I was playing every week. That's a little different than somebody who's kind of coming from a, you know, a less a less active background who's trying to start a program, not that they can't still have access to this type of program and make and, and have success, but it just means you have to maybe be a little bit more patient and, and, and set,
1: set your expectations, set your expectations
0: accordingly so that we don't overdo it. The the last thing we want is to have you get injured in a base building cycle. And, you know, so what does that mean or look like? And I would probably even hesitate here to put a number on it I think obviously if you're in that lower range now of 10 to 20 miles a week, you're going to be able to increase on a percentage basis more than somebody who's at 40 to 45 already and who wants to maybe get into the 50s or even consider getting into the 60s. So obviously, you know, there's a little bit more flexibility depending where you are in the range, but then all those other dynamics come into play. What's your background? How your days will fit together? What is reasonable for for your routine and, and your lifestyle and then of course also potentially what goals you might have beyond because if somebody who might be wanting to go train for a marathon next, that might look a little different than somebody who says, Hey, I just want to get my first 10K done or something like that. So yeah. so all of those variables would come into play. I would hesitate to put hard and fast rules, but the point is a base building phase could be an opportunity to go from X mileage on average a week to Y mileage, maybe something you've never thought you could do or sustain, or maybe you've had trouble sustaining and then got injured. You know, I had somebody email me recently and said, hey, you know, I, I struggle with injury every time I get over, I think 35 or 45, 35 yeah. or 40 miles a week. And then I have to back off, back down to 25 and 30. And that's where it works. So he was asking that question of, "How can I make that more sustainable and if so sort of you're that person who's experimented with more days or experimented with with higher mileage but then gotten hurt and had to back off, then this is a, definitely an indication that maybe trying a foundational block would help. Any other thoughts there on miles just volume
1: now, I think that covers it, yeah, it's pretty thorough, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I also want to make sure that people know it's not all about that. You know, I think while that should be definitely a part of any base building phase, like considering where your volume is, these other pieces are important too. So yeah. that's what we're going to talk about. Before we leave the running category, you got to talk about speed because, you know, I think one thing that's important is that you don't lose, assuming you have some foundation of doing workouts, you don't lose that in a base right. building block. And I think if you went back to Arthur Lydiard and sort of the, some of the founding fathers of modern distance training, they might say, Hey, do a base phase with just base, maybe just easy mileage. Whereas now we kind of know in a more modern sense that you don't ever want to lose touch with your speed. It might just be a little bit intense, less intense, a little bit different, uh, a lot more recovery. And so, you know, our case here is that there's still speed work in the context of a base building cycle. It's just going to have a certain look that looks different than what it might be in a specific marathon cycle. So talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. The point is not to drive physiological adaptation through intense workouts like we might do during a regular training cycle, but rather to keep neuromuscular pathways open. So you want to make sure you're kind of keeping the lights on as uh we've talked about before. And so those will those be uh, you know, things like strides or pickups and workouts or um small fartleks that have shorter intervals and lar- larger periods of rest help just keep keep some of that foundational speed there for you or to help start building the foundation for it if it's something that you haven't already done. So if you if you haven't maybe gone through, say, a half marathon or marathon training cycle before that has quality workouts in it, then when you come out of a base training phase, you don't want to then step into quality work for the first time without ever having built a foundation for that. So this is also your opportunity to kind of build the foundation for the quality work that you're going to do when you come out of that base phase. And so uh, focusing on a little bit of that over the base will help you e- yep. either sustained gains you've already made uh well it'll help do both one sustained gains you've already made and whether you've done quality workout before or not it gives you the foundation for moving into that into the future so right you don't want just the volume foundation you also want the foundation that helps you leverage the ability to do quality work which is
0: the neuromuscular foundation essentially you know so the volume provides the aerobic foundation the speed work provides that neuromuscular adaptation so that when we do amp it up to more specific work, you're ready for that around rogue. We've, we've said or had this concept that it's about being fit enough to really train, you know, base building is kind of like earning the right to really train for something. And that's what that's about. And so in this type of base building, there should still be a little bit of speed. Now, the thing about speed and base building is that it should be really flexible should give you the opportunity to bail on it. If you're not feeling up mm-hmm. for it, it should be in many cases, effort-based versus having really specific paces associated with it so that you have the flexibility. If you're feeling a little beat up from a longer run than you've ever done to back off on that so that your body you know, is happy and healthy and stays safe with the program. And so what is that going to look like You know, for us in this space building cycle? going to have primarily two different categories of speed work. One would be what we call more speed development oriented work, which is about short, fast, but controlled work, usually with plenty of recovery. So that could look like something as simple as doing flat strides, could be short hill strides, could be short hill repeats with plenty of rest, could be even maybe 200 meters on, 200 meters off. Really short, simple workouts with plenty of recovery that activate those fast-twitch fibers and and keep the lights on from a speed standpoint. So that's sort of one category of work that you would experience in this type of program or that you should have in this type of program. The other is more aerobic strength-oriented. Also, another word for aerobic strength is endurance or your ability to sustain comfortably hard paces for longer and longer periods of time. And so doing... In our vernacular, things like steady runs, maybe even short tempo runs that are effort based and hard at some level, but just still within the realm of control so that you're not pressing too much. That helps build that endurance foundation that then allows you to do other work down the road. So, those are the main categories of things. And then, you know, what that looks like and can really be anything under the sun from fart like workouts to. As I said, short, fast kind of reps to steady runs, progression runs, tempo runs, that kind of stuff. And so we'll, we'll keep all of that built into the program. The other part is it just keeps it interesting and fun. If you're just running yeah. easy every day, it would be boring as hell. So that's the other part of this is you don't want to you don't want to be completely bored out of your mind just running the same pace every day.
1: Yeah, so, I think um, I, I like that you keep stressing the kind of rest component of it. Like One of the things is that this is a base building period is a period for, for stress management. Like you're, you're going to, if you're building for the first time, you know, you're trying to come from a 10 to 20 mile place and climb, that's going to put a lot of stress on your body. And so the speed work that we're doing is not intended to put a lot of stress on the system. Um, and, and I think that's just an important concept. If you, if you are coming off of injury, you want to manage stress, or if you're trying to take a reprieve and you're in base building so you can experiment with new things, again, you're introducing new elements to your program that are going to introduce stress and you don't want to pile that on top of a lot of intense workouts.
0: Yeah. And and it should be layered at some level. And all of this, we'll kind of summarize talking about it, you know, all of this stuff really should be layered in that, you know, you're not building intensity with whatever speed work might be done in this block at the same time that you're building mileage so trying to layer it in and so there might be some early running in the cycle where you're just building that routine first before you add a bunch of crazy speed that
1: would make sense
0: but it's got to be layered in or really truthfully we'll still have some speed but it'd be it'll look more short simple early and might get more complex and longer later in the cycle so that's that's sort of the speed side. And then, so we talked about volume, speed, and then adaptability, adaptability being the ability to listen to your body, feel, understand efforts, respond. If your body's telling, you no. and so when it comes to this group itself, we're going to be trying to incorporate some HRV monitoring so that people can really see the data, what the data is telling them and then hopefully help them navigate what that means so they can learn through this process when to back off, when to do more. And that's going to be a big part of it is knowing that, Hey, maybe you and I prescribed a speed workout, but your HRV data says the body's saying no and giving yourself permission to just not do it that day. Maybe flip it to another day and learning how that works, how it feels, how to adapt. And I know you've, you train this way now. So,
1: let's talk about that piece of it so base building is a great opportunity to introduce something like the like application of hrv to your overall workout decision making process because when you're going to build a baseline a physiological baseline through a technology like hrv and so here you have um A sort of normalized period of your training where it's good to introduce that you could imagine if you're introducing uh HRV in the middle of a marathon training cycle, your physiology is under a lot of stress and you're building a baseline in the context of that. So, having a lower stress environment where you build your baseline is super useful, Um, but then this also gives you uh, there's like a good opportunity here to take the time to learn about your body and some of the signals that you're getting from it, and so. what I I talk about this as decentralized decision making. So what we want to do is teach athletes how to take both quantitative and qualitative signals that they're getting on a daily basis and use those to inform the decisions that they're making about training. And so a podcast training group is a great group-based context for this because we don't necessarily all have to get together on Tuesday and run the quality workout whether or not it makes sense to for us individually. So if we, if we, what we we'll, what we may do is say in this week, these are the two quality workouts that you need to do. And then you as the individual athlete can look at your subjective and objective measures of sh- physiological stress on a daily basis and figure out the day when, uh, your, your stress capacity is optimal for doing hard work harder than normal work. Um, which is great because you'll get the most out of it that day, but you're also at the lowest risk of injury on a day when your physiological stress scores are lower. Um, and so, <clears throat> this is just a another tool to introduce at a time in your overall programming when it's your it's more conducive to experiment and try new things. Yeah, and
0: you have flexibility. You know, you can move right. workouts more easily. Right. You know, if you're in a marathon block, you might. Eventually, face the reality that I need to do this tough marathon workout because I'm about to enter a taper mode, and you know, and and the race is in four weeks. Right. Uh, so you might be at that place right. where you just have to sometimes suck it up and do it yeah. and hope for the best.
1: Or if I shift it to Thursday, it's gonna bump up to my it's, Saturday long run, right. and then I'm totally right. fucked.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. And but in a base mode, you can do that, rearrange things, be more flexible, and learn. Perhaps more importantly to listen to some of the cues that you're seeing. And so HRV is one way to do that. I also just think simple journaling, how you feel on a certain day yeah. notes about why maybe you felt that way, you know, felt like shit, didn't sleep. You know, maybe it's as simple as that. Yeah. And you know, therefore ran a minute slower than normal or backed off a couple of miles or skipped the workout, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it gives you that ability to kind of process those things And in a safe, flexible environment, adapt to it and then see how you feel and then hopefully learn and iterate as you go.
1: And I think the most important thing about that learning process is to figure out how to set yourself up for success so that you're not just carelessly managing your lifestyle and you're like, ah, it's all right if I, you know, put down a bottle of wine and stay up two hours later than normal tonight, (laughs) I'll just move my work out later in the week. Like, sure, you like you can do that, but the idea is learn the things that create more stress for you and the things you could do that create less stress for you. And then try to set yourself up for success on the days when you know that you need to go out and work hard so that you don't wake up in the morning and get surprised to learn that you're, you're sympathetic dominant that day. And you're kind of screwed from a physiological standpoint. You don't have a high capacity for stress and you have a higher risk of injury.
0: Yeah, I mean, the perfect example for my recent life is last, was it last week or the week before? Anyway, with recently, I knew I was working on a Saturday, so I couldn't do my long run that day. But I needed to get a 20-miler in, training for the Austin Marathon. So I had rearranged my week in advance to do what was supposed to be a Thursday quality workout on Tuesday so that I could do my long run on Friday instead of Saturday. So I'd adjust to my week, made that change. Well, that week also happened to be really busy from a work standpoint. And we had a Christmas party on Thursday night that I, I went to and did, didn't drink a crazy amount, but probably had a little too much wine. Woke up Friday morning to head out for my 20-mile run. Felt terrible. You know, it was a combination of things. You know, I think just a busy week where I'd gotten a little less sleep than normal. Probably had a little too much to drink the night before, although I wouldn't say I was like super hungover. Yeah. And, and it just fell flat, fell flat, completely flat. Two miles in, I'm like immediately made the decision that I wasn't going 20 that day. <laughs> Thought, well, I'll just try to get 10 in. Which eight to 10 is sort of my normal easy day run. Got to six miles, had a decision of either going two or four back to my starting point. And I was feeling terrible. I'm like going two more. So I finished at eight. Supposed to do 20. Got eight miles in. Knowing that my body just wasn't ready. I could have forced out the 20 that day. Could have forced 10. But it wasn't I wasn't ready. And that's pretty rare for me that that would happen. But it was like all the signs were no. So I just cut it short. Ended up taking Saturday off got a little better sleep. Did my long run on Sunday instead. Solo was went out that morning not really knowing how I was going to feel. And by the way, I slept a little bit later than normal. Instead of getting up super early to do it, I slept to like 7:30 to try to, you know, catch up a little bit on that. Yeah. Then went out not really knowing how I was feel was completely ready. To not feel great again and to cut it short again and just say, hey, not my week. Skip this long run. I'll do it next week. But I felt okay. Ended up, because of my time constraints that morning with getting the sleep in and then getting back to family, I got an 18 miles instead of 20. But got the work in, felt good about it, actually felt pretty good on the run. And it was just a simple case of, you know, a few simple rearrangements, listening to my body, recognizing not to force it when I thought, you know, or when in the past, maybe I would have. And ultimately I think it made a huge difference in how I came out of that work. You know, like if I had hammered out the 20 on Friday, that I would have been a little bit buried coming into the next week. And by the way, I was racing a week later. And instead I rearranged things only got an 18, which maybe isn't perfect for marathon training, but it's way better than zero or 10 or eight or, and by the way, it was better than 20 on Friday. Like what I was able to accomplish with that 18 on Sunday on a better day, feeling good was way more than I would have accomplished by hammering out 20 on a Friday when I was already in a hole. And so, yeah, it's just about, Hey, you got to listen and adapt sometimes. And you know, the 10 years ago, me wouldn't have done that. Like I would have just hammered. Now I would have been thirty, and maybe I could have gotten away. <laughs> with it. Maybe I could have gotten away with it then. But that's not the point. <laughs> the point is I've learned a few things, and uh, and that's the point of this kind of base is is learning, adapting, so that you can make those small decisions that might make the difference between burning yourself out or overtraining, and you know still being in a decent spot. All right. So that's the running stuff: volume, speed adaptability that stuff is critical and you know it's probably the core of what we're doing with this kind of program but there's other pieces strength is another one i think a base building block is a perfect time to incorporate strength because it allows you the ability to adapt to that work without any high stakes it's and it's interesting because it takes you know in my my estimates usually it takes 4 to 6 weeks at least for your body to adapt to it and not feel bad yeah. <laughs> on the run. Now it takes obviously longer than that to really consolidate it into your training, but four to six weeks before, you know, you may go, you know, you may not feel like it's affecting your running at all. And it's hard to be patient during that time. If you have a marathon on the horizon. Yeah. So based as a time. And so as a part of this program, we're going to be building in strength to the program and, and, it'll be more foundational strength. So really setting you up to not only build in some basic routines and movements, but also potentially then take that to another place later if you wanted to Yeah. escalate it further down the road. So talk about that part of it. You're really our strength expert on, you know, and of the two of us.
1: And so what does that look like? Uh, routine again will be extremely important for this. Um, so I think that one of the biggest challenges with strength is building the routine and sustaining it. It's really easy. I find for athletes to let go of it, especially if you've been doing it for a while and you've consolidated some gains from it, you're running this bending fitting from it. And then you think, okay, well, I can just let go of strength training for a while and and I'll be all right. And you can get away with it for a while. Um, but then it'll come back to bite you. And so I think that at least two days a week of strength training is, is kind of the buy-in for it. Um, I, I aim for three to four days now, and that's just for me what I can fit into my routine. And I think it gives me a good kind of stress balance across uh, everything that I'm doing between strength training and running And, uh, what we'll, what I want to focus on are just the five fundamental human movements. So push, pull, resist, rotation, squat, and deadlift. Um, and the latter two really just focusing on the hip hinge, hip hinge being like the key movement through which you need to build strength. And so we'll have effectively two tracks for this. We'll write programming that athletes can use, assuming that they're doing all the work at home and they have no weights. And then uh, we'll write a version of that programming that uh, you could do in the gym, if you have a gym membership. Now you could be in this program and already have your own strength routine. Like if you have a personal trainer or you have classes that you like to go to, do that. That's totally fine. Um, listen to what we say over the course of the program a about the importance of these five fundamental human movements and make sure that you're figuring out ways to incorporate that foundation into what you're doing already. <laughs> um, and w- like for me, I think we'll program two days a week and if folks want to do more than that, then, um, you know, for me, it's a focus on mobility for the most part. So I'm either doing yoga, um, or an up to an hour of trigger point therapy for myself. Um, you could also get a massage, um, that kind of falls under the category of mobility, but not so much strength really. Um, anyway, so we'll, you know, we'll look at programming two week, two days a week that focus on foundational strength through the five fundamental human movements. Um, and then we'll also proffer a lot of advice about mobility and how to target mobility through the work that you do. And, um, a lot of the strength stuff that we work on will inherently focus on mobility. It'll be movements through multiple planes of motion. Um, And so, questions about that, I guess?
0: No, I mean, I think obviously that'll be our approach and we'll give people more prescriptive routines to follow. For somebody who doesn't have that, who is trying to figure this out on their own as a part of their base building block,
1: what would you suggest? I would hire a strength coach. Yep. I use strength coaches and you know what it, it ultimately like it comes down to this, right? I'm all about the Ricardian model of economics, right? Okay. All right. You're familiar with Ricardo, David Ricardo?
0: I uh, was an economics major in college. <laughs> <Right>. Jason, <laughs> the, you're you not Perk speak- up but <laughs> you're speaking my language.
1: So <laughs> like if I <clears throat> I tried doing the strength of myself for a while and I get to the gym. And it's fucking decision fatigue. I'm like, <laughs> I'm looking at all of these machines and weights. I'm like, I I got here, but I have no idea what I want to do. Now I got to make this up or I got to like sit at home and write my strength programming. Right. Um, and then I think that, you know, it's, it's, It's you can definitely do a lot of things wrong when it comes to strength training and we can't see ourselves working out really. And so unless you know exactly what you're looking at and you've got like a good mirror and you're kind of set up for training yourself, then that would be great. But most of us aren't set up for training ourselves. And so I think that it's really important to hire a strength coach. Interview your strength coach to make sure that they have the skills that you need. What you want to focus on are are really these fundamental elements, right? You want to be, you want to have a strong hip hinge. You want to have good mobility. You want to be able to push, pull, resist rotation, squat, and deadlift. And so that's what you want to work on. You want to make sure you have a strength coach that understands how to help an endurance athlete get better in their sport. And they're not going to give you a bunch of weird shit to do. There's no reason for you to be doing overhead squats or, Uh, power cleans or anything weird like that. It's really a focus on the basics to make you strong to support running. And my case for strength training for endurance athlete is that this is one of the best injury prevention measures you can take. Uh, If you're strong, if you're using strength training systematically in your program, strength training can help you reduce time to exhaustion. So it will reduce muscle fatigue in that sense, which supports your endurance as an endurance athlete. So that's a huge win, right? And then you get the injury prevention. That's a huge win. And then, um, you're also going to support like better brain and cognitive function, better metabolic health. All of those are good for you as an athlete when you're trying to get even marginal performance gains. And then uh, there's just the longevity as humans, um, strength training is going to be one of the best ways for us to yep. stay alive in the long run.
0: Well, and this is, this will be what I do after I run the Austin Marathon is go into a foundational block of training where I'm incorporating strength in a really formal and sustainable way into yeah. my routine. Cause you know, I do it uh, more on a as needed basis around certain injuries I've dealt with through the years to, to kind of rehab yeah. or prehab when I feel something coming on, but I don't have a fundamental program that I have built into my routine and I just can't afford not to anymore if I want to get to where I want to go. So I'll be doing it with you. And, and I think hiring somebody, even if it's just for a short term to kind of learn the basics Mm -hmm. is, you know, is valuable if you don't have the resources to have somebody ongoing. Yeah. And, you know, there are other ways to, you know, to access that type of information to online resources and things like that. But yeah, there but it's,
1: a, but it's critical. Yeah. And, and online resources can be a great thing. Um, you know, there's like a world of knowledge in YouTube, but make sure you find a good coach to follow and then, you know, follow that person look at some of the stuff they're doing. They're often going to put out a lot of video content about form and how to properly execute certain key movements. Um, and, and they'll even have programming out there that you can access and that's a good way to follow along, but make sure that it's somebody that, that you can reliably depend on to produce good content. You can always ask us about that. For
0: For sure. So running the strength, strength mainly about those fundamental movements. Part of that, by the way, I also encourage people to give themselves the time to really do it the right way. Start focusing on, start by focusing on form without a lot of weight, a lot of heavy weight. So, And and, and a good trainer, of course, is going to do that with you. But I think there's a perception when you add strength that you should be dead and your muscles are just completely wrecked after doing a strength routine. If that's happening to you, and, and certainly there's some amount of soreness that's expected, when you start any routine, but if that's happening you're just completely wrecked that's a problem yeah like you shouldn't be in that place <laughs> you, yeah. y- you should be building more gradually because what you're doing is you're doing more damage than you are good right when you get to that place where you suddenly can't move <laughs> after a strength segment I' be a lot of stress yeah but These are not so how, how do you know so kidding. how do you know what that balance is because yeah some soreness is Im- expected. You know, you are fundamentally tearing muscle down in order to rebuild it stronger. That's, that's the process. Right. But at the same time, you don't want to be again at that place where you're so wrecked, you can't lift your arms the next day.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I think that 30 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes, two times a week is totally sufficient. And you're just not, you're not really going to do anything that dramatic in that period of time. At least not, at least not what we would work on in this context, um, and especially not during a base period, that's not really what it's about. Like you're, you're really just working on, on strength, kind of like foundational strength. Uh, as you build that foundation and you're ready to evolve your programming, you can definitely get into more complex and strenuous workouts. But at that point, like you've built the infrastructure you're ready, for it, yeah. right? Yeah. You're ready. Yeah. You've got the aerobic capacity to handle that kind of conditioning and you've got the muscular strength. Right. Just, I mean, it would be the same thing. Like, uh, if you were starting a run program, I mean, anybody who's like, I uh, want to start running, we would advocate you start with something like this base program rather than jump in and into right. like an intermediate or advanced marathon program. Cause it would fucking destroy you. But if you're, <laughs> if you built yourself up for it, those workouts will be hard, but I'm not going to go home and like sleep on the couch for nine hours after my Saturday long run. If I've conditioned myself well enough to do the work.
0: Yep. So point being when you start a strength program, be conservative with your weight. Don't wreck yourself. Because you're you're trying to create sustainability. You're not trying to become a Olympic lifter. (laughs) The who's who's competing at the highest level. So And be like be weary
1: of the weird stuff, right? Like you don't need to do any kind of strange compound movements like you don't try to get into a CrossFit class, um, stay away from like an orange theory or something like that. It's not about how many calories you can burn in half an hour or how much weight you can throw above your head. It's it's about building your fundamental strength.
0: So you can be a faster runner. Yes. Okay, so that's strength. Let's talk about lifestyle for a second. And, okay. and on the lifestyle part, I want to emphasize something first, which is that You know, we're going to talk about a few different things in this category. All of those things at some level are important. But as someone who might be jumping into a base period, you know, while the running and strength are kind of brass tacks, some of these pieces could be more menu based where depending on the time and capacity and interest in experimenting with some of these other things, you may pick and choose a little bit versus saying, okay, I'm going to try to do it all. So I do think there is a tendency sometimes for people to say, okay, well, I need to be better about this, 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 and they name like eight things. And that's not really what we want to do. We want to try to focus on a handful of things that you can, where you can make real impact. And so we're going to mention a few additional lifestyle elements that may or may not be a component of the program for everyone. But through our program, we're going to give you some tools and resources to to learn more, to maybe apply some concepts in your life, but for those that say, "Hey, that's too much," you can kind of pick and choose and maybe not go to all of these elements. The first element in the lifestyle category is just stress management. I mean, you talked about it with Dr. Moose on the Human Performance Project mini series, and then of course you guys talk about it all the time on your podcast with him. That you've got to learn how to balance and manage stress in your life. And if you're not doing that, then it's going to affect everything that you do from workout to work, to sleep. So how do you think about
1: managing that piece of it? So anything that we could do in a lifestyle category would ultimately get at this stress bottom line, the stress management bottom line. Right. Yep. Um, and so these are basically, I think of the lifestyle category as a series of tools and tactics you can use to get at stress. There are many different ways that you have to come at stress. that's pervasive in our lives, right? And so lifestyle is just one category of that. And um, so I think what we, what the idea we have is we'll offer a few tools and athletes should pick one or two things they might want to work on in a base building period to help them, whatever they think are kind of the biggest issues for them. So for me, last time that I was in a base building period, it was all about sleep and transitioning to a paleo diet. Now I'm in a base building period again, and I'm going to, and I'm going to also share part of this experience with this program. And for me, the thing that I want to focus on now is gut health, because I know that my gut health's not great. I haven't done any, I haven't done any advanced biochemistry work. And so I want to do some basically blood work and some organic acids testing to figure out what kind of infection inflammation I have that's bothering me and and try to like target gut health. So that's going to be my key objective. And, th- and this period is targeting gut health. Now, maybe you only sleep six night- six hours a night. And uh, we're here to tell you that you need to sleep more. <laughs> and that should be maybe the key thing you focus on, right? And so yeah. when we look at health, we're kind of breaking it down into biochemistry, diet, and then sleep. And all of these get at the pinnacle issue which is stress management so any anything you change in any of these categories is just reducing stress on your body so through diet that is really just trying to gradually move toward an anti-inflammatory diet so that's one that's based on real foods and whole foods but even if you got to like a paleo diet or something you might find out that you have a terrible inflammatory response to eating kale or something right. like that right yep. so um, which so has
0: happened i think moose dr moose yeah, gave,
1: gave that example yeah fibromyalgia that just turned out to be a inflammatory response to kale or something like that right, right and so which is crazy and so the biochemistry piece can help you figure out what some of those inflammatory responses are all about in your body um and then you can make changes related to that and so our, the idea would be maybe at the start of a base period you could take a blood test and then at the end of your base period, you could take a blood test or you could even have one in the middle and you kind of set a plan of action based on what you see in the first one. So maybe you have a vitamin D deficiency or you have some sort of uh, genetic polymorphism that you're working on, or you see some kind of marker that indicates abnormal inflammation or some kind of infection, maybe a gut health problem. And you kind of just work on that. And that would be like the thing that you focus on for that period and then Dietary changes are going to help you work on the elements that you need to fix. Um, Diet can also relate to sleep patterns. There may be things about you may be struggling with sleep and you could make some dietary changes to support that. So it's kind of like we want to we want to look into that bucket of diet and lifestyle, and work with each of the athletes to figure out what the key thing is that you could work on in a base period Um, and then and then go after that.
0: And and as you said, maybe only pick one thing, yeah, <laughs> instead of all of those things because you can't optimize optimize everything. But one part of that is the biochemistry concept, and that's where I think at least relative to our program, we're going to be introducing something pretty cool, which is the opportunity to potentially get some blood testing, and then work via virtual consultation or I guess you know video slash phone consultation yeah. with Doctor Moose's practice. So, that you can have them evaluate what your blood values are showing, which might give some indication of some things to change to potentially affect the blood values that might be affecting your performance or how yeah. you feel. And so, we're going to give people access to that resource. Also, be bringing Dr. Moose and his wife, Natalie, on, He works with this practice, to help educate on what to look for when you do get blood values checked and tested. And, you know, and again, this is all in the context of an athlete, you know, values versus sort of an everyday yes. person. And that That's can be important. very different what you might look at and focus on or the ranges you might consider as normal or, or healthy for an athlete might be different from somebody who is inactive and just sort of an average person. So we're going to be bringing in those resources so people can actually learn. And figure out what might be going on, even if their doctor says, "Oh, everything looks good. It's in the quote normal ranges." Right. Well, maybe it's not good. Be if you're trying to run, you know, forty miles a week or right. sixty miles a week. So anyway, so we're going to bring that in, but again, kind of focus on this idea of prioritization. Yes, but give you some tools to maybe pick within those elements you talked about, and then some tools to to make that element that's that's your area of focus better sleep diet blood values overall stress load and i would encourage those that are doing this on their own to think about the same thing you know pick pick the one thing you can work on if it's more sleep which maybe is the simplest for a lot of people do that whether that means going to bed a little bit earlier whether that means better sleep hygiene about how you orient your bedroom whether that be Screen time, blue light exposure. Right, whether that be taking more naps, which has been a priority of mine over the last six months, which I can say I have been better about. So anyway, that'll be a component of this and we would encourage it to be a a component of any base building program is that you're evaluating your, your lifestyle holistically to give yourself the best opportunity to perform when you do go out and run. And it's amazing how all this stuff is interconnected. Even, you know, even emotional response to a stressful event in your life can affect how you manifest that in your workouts or your long runs. And I think sometimes we, we, we lose track of the fact that how we're feeling in our bodies is very connected to our mind and to our emotions and to our, to our mental health, to all the variables that we're trying to balance, you know. Whereas we might see a bad workout, we're not necessarily connecting it to the inputs right. that might have caused that bad workout. Mm-hmm. That might have nothing to do with the weather or or your physical fitness or your physical fitness at all, right? And so that's what we're trying to do is create a little bit of awareness to that, which also goes back to the HRV testing and. And be able to monitor and track that so you can then use the data to correlate with life events and potentially figure out what might be going on that is affecting your workouts. So all that's to say, in a base period, this is a good time to potentially look at and focus on at least one of those things. And we will do it within the context of this foundational program. So let's talk a little bit about that as we wrap this up, Jason. Okay. We've got... This base program, we're going to start it on January 13th, 2020. So coming up. Yeah. So a good way to start the new year. It will be running from January 13th through the end of May. So kind of give people four and a half months, essentially, of opportunity to kind of focus on this. It will have the elements that we talked about from allowing you from whatever your starting point to focus on the miles in the right way routine, running routine, the strength components along those fundamental movements you talked about, as well as these lifestyle tools and resources that we're going to be giving you across those other variables. We'll have all that comp- component in. We'll give you workouts to do along the way, in addition to helping you build your own mileage schedule so that you'll have some guidance there and the strength, strength components, as I mentioned. And then, of course, you'll have the community of people around you to talk about this, not just with us as coaches, but All also right. the other participants. We're going to limit the group to 30 initially, and we're going to open signups January 3rd, keep those open until January 31st with the program starting on the 13th or until we until we sell it out. So yeah. once we hit 30, we're going to shut it down as we're, this is obviously a, a first time um, program here, and we want to make sure that we can give it. And everybody in it, the attention that, that they that they deserve as yeah. we get this off the ground. So those are the details. It'll be 50 bucks a month, just like our other podcast training group. Obviously, though, with a little bit of a different orientation. And we'll be opening signups, as I said, on January 3rd. And I'll be giving you all the details here on the podcast about where you can find that info. As so a part of that. You know, you'll be plugging into our final search platform, which is the virtual platform that we use to manage these virtual groups, which also gives you access to a host of, you know, individual resources from connecting in your Strava to a training calendar. If you want to use that to social wall where you can interact with others in the group, as well as a message board where you can ask all the questions you might have. Yeah. So it's got all of those elements and you know, you and I will be also releasing a weekly podcast to go with that, that only members of this group will have access to, to basically talk about the training as well as of course, give other tips and tricks along the way. So pretty cool. Well worth it from my perspective. And you know, it's going to be fun for us because, you know, as you said, you'll also kind of be in a base mode. I'll be going into a base mode starting after February. And so we'll kind of both be experiencing some of this with the group as we coach them through it.
1: Yeah. That's going to be fun. So, So are there any prerequisites? I would say yes.
0: The only real prerequisite is that you have establish some running routine already. You know, if you're starting from zero from the couch and trying to build, that's probably, this probably isn't the group for you. But if you have some running routine, really, no matter how small that might be, you know, if you're doing 10 miles a week, then, and you've already kind of established that, you know, you can do this and want to build from there. If you're in that category, pretty much anything goes as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, just probably not the right person starting from scratch completely yeah. but somebody already has at least some foundation to build from and really whatever that foundation is we'll take it and grow it. So Awesome. It's exciting. Yeah, it is. So we will have all those details to publish soon and we'll share them broadly and you'll be able to find them at com. So Look out for news on that. And if you have questions, of course, you can always email me, chris at roguerunning.com, and we'll get your questions answered. Otherwise, if you're going to do this on your own, then good luck to you. It will be worth your time and energy to focus on this for a bit of time and take a break, perhaps from training for something super specific. And if that's you and you're on your own personal journey, we'd love to hear about that too over time as you experience it so of course always as always share chris at roguerunning.com with that we will wrap this episode thanks as always for joining us you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on instagram twitter or facebook
1: at roguerunning until next time we will talk to you soon